0: Welcome to Woke and Confused, the podcast delving into the environmental dilemmas of our time. We're your hosts, Livy Drake
1: and Jessica Farrow. We give you the lowdown to the breakdown, the cure to the chaos, the Thunbergs to the melting icebergs. We'll help you navigate your daily decisions
0: so you can feel empowered to make positive change. This is where it's Attenborough.
1: You won't regret it. Episode We talk about the devastating bushfires that are raging across Australia, how people are responding, and what you can do. Hey Jess! Hey Livy!
0: Oh, I'm really tired. I was kept awake last night, probably between 4 and 6 am, this well, this morning, by either a mouse family or a bird family that have decided to move into the roof uh, just above where I sleep. so it's a bit of a dilemma really what are you going to do well I mean I feel a bit challenged because if it's mice then sadly I don't have too much of a problem with removing them because like having mice around your bedroom is just horrible but if it's birds I don't know because I'm a massive bird lover I might have to rearrange my room
1: oh god I I actually have the exact same dilemma because uh I I saw a mouse in my kitchen the other day, and I've never had that ever in this house. But my neighbors are getting their their kitchen redone, so I thought it might be because they've all got re, you know, they're like moving around a bit. But I just saw him running across my kitchen floor, and I was like, Shh. like, is it cool to get an exterminator in? Well, I don't want to kill wildlife. Well, you know, like they they, am I just invading in their territory? Because I also went to a talk the other day, and it was saying that even if we meet our one point five degree Paris Agreement plus targets by twenty thirty, we're still set to lose thirty percent of species. So I don't want to be killing mice.
0: But I think probably all we'll be left with is the mice, the mice and the rats, and the slugs will be the survivors.
1: Mm, they're not the ones that we need to be preserving, maybe.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's tricky because these these uh, town mice are very clever. So we had them downstairs earlier on in the year and they were actually going into the compost bin, taking the lid off, getting huge pieces of bread out and then taking them back behind all the surfaces and getting them behind the fridge and they had created a little stash in the bottom of the fridge and we're having a little party and I thought something had died behind the fridge because it was so stinky but it was just where all their sweet corn and their bread was going (laughs) mouldy.
1: What were we doing throwing away loads of bread? Come on. Oh, oh no <laughs> these ethical mouse traps right where you can like catch the mouse you put the peanut butter in and then the mouse goes in and then you take it away but you have to take it like two miles away otherwise the mouse will come back I don't understand how a mouse can make like a two it's like the rescuers or some kind of mad like journey where the mice have to travel across town but I don't understand how they do it but apparently they do they can come back within two miles
0: Well, but also then the other thing with that is that um then they're in some other mouse's territory and then the other mice will kill them so
1: sentencing them to death anyway
0: whichever way you look at it i think the worst thing when you look into these things is there's a sticky tape that you can put down and then the mice get stuck on it and they get so distressed that they try and eat their own legs off oh my god not that then so not that
1: oh this is a real dilemma um I haven't seen the mouse since, so I might just leave it. <laughs> <See what happens. gasps> he's he's buying your fridge having a party. Oh, probably. Um, so in terms of my dilemma, well, that is my dilemma, actually. But I have an update on one of my former dilemmas. So uh, in an earlier episode, I talked about uh, organic bananas versus fair trade bananas. So, One of my dilemmas was when you go to the shop and then you have fair trade bananas, but they're loose, or you have organic bananas in a plastic bag. And I was always not sure which one to buy. I'm pleased to tell you that my boyfriend went to Sainsbury's and he bought some bananas that are have organic, but they're in a little paper, they've got a little paper strip just going around them saying they're organic, but no plastic. Yes. So you can do it.
0: You can do it. Good update. Well done, Sainsbury's. on to the big topic. Sadly, not so lighthearted this time. I kind of really want to talk about Australia and what's going on there. I mean, I lived there for a year and I think probably lots of our listeners have had experiences for there and have been seeing what's been going on. And one of the things for me when I look at it is this is like the worst fear of what the apocalypse is going to, you know, will look like. And I've just been really, you know, obviously saddened by the animals, but also really fascinated of how people have been working there and whether they've been coming together or whether it's tearing the communities apart. Because, you know, it's like this is sort of a a window on what the future could look like in our darkest hour.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So just to give a bit of context, Australia is currently suffering the worst bushfires in living memory, I think, or since records began. Australia is no stranger to bushfires. This is a natural part of the the way the land regenerates itself and fires are quite common in that very dry area, but there's a few things that are happening. So the first thing is there's been record summer heat for the past several years, which have caused a cumulative effect. Also climate change is causing different weather patterns. So things normally get winds coming in which would cool things down. Those are all been disrupted. The hot summers have meant there's been a drought for several years. So the forests are dry like it's almost like a tinderbox, basically. Then you're getting strong winds from the West, which are stoking up any fires which are there. And there are these ways that Indigenous people know how to look after the land, which is preventative burning, which would normally be done in, in cooler months. And this is it's, it's a technique that's employed a lot in Australia, but it's not been done so successfully in recent years because of the shorter, cooler seasons. It's been a lot hotter, so there hasn't been so much time to do that. And plus climate change uh, and the hot weather and moving air around is causing more lightning or an increased chance of lightning which is the often the trigger for these forest fires to begin
0: yeah and i think one of the things i was reading about in terms of the droughts and how this is you know sort of been building up slowly is it's not just these fires that are causing a massive problem in australia the drought they're really affecting rural communities and i read this harrowing article by a vet and it was actually in the Daily Mail and it was showing how these farmers their cattle ranches are no longer functional because their bulls are so dehydrated that they're not actually fertile anymore and the cows are all you know really skinny and the horses are dying so these these towns are just actually falling apart because they've got no livelihood anymore
1: and and I think you what you talk about this kind of apocalyptic scenes that we're, we're talking about I mean I think they did actually film Mad Max. In- Australia or maybe it's set in Australia but it's like yeah some of those scenes videos photographs I'm seeing coming out of Australia are are literally like the worst apocalyptic scenes you can imagine it looks like Blade Runner yeah
0: I mean I've got friends there one of my um, closest friends from school has relocated there so what I want to do is sort of hear a first-hand experience because there's one thing reading the news and getting that sense of it but I thought it would be really nice to hear what she had to say about it and, and ask those questions about how people are coming together and responding and what it's actually like on the ground.
1: Yeah, that'd be awesome. OK, great. Let's hear from Haley.
2: Hopefully I can have some insight for your listeners. That's
0: the main thing to say about this it, um that it. We just really want to hear, and I think lots of people want to hear, about what, what it's like from a first-hand experience, a lived experience, of being in Australia, on the ground, where these things are happening. For us in England and in Europe, we're all watching the news and trying to imagine what it can be like. If we just sort of go through a few things and you can give us your insight. Perfect. So I suppose, first of all, starting off, you've been living in Australia nearly
2: 18 years, So I arrived in Australia initially um, for a gap year or a gap couple of months in um, 2000 and then moved back there permanently in 2006. How have you noticed the climate changing in Australia over the last few years? Sadly, I've seen actually two significant changes, which I personally would relate to climate change. So one is um, the water levels rising when I first arrived in Australia, there's beaches that you know you could you could take a walk down to the water, whereas now they're pretty much up to the rocks, mm-hmm. and we've lost so much sand. Um, a, a lot of that is also to do with erosion, um, but definitely the effects of the the water levels rising um, means that the the beaches are becoming fewer and fewer. And the other one is um, which you and I were talking about just the other day. The Old 3 p.m. southerly, is what the oldies call it in Australia. And it was basically at 3 p.m. every summer's night. You could guarantee that there would be a storm that came in. It cooled everything down. It brought rain. It resets everything for the next day. The next day's hot. 3 p.m. comes. The southerly comes. The rain comes. It cools everything down again. It was kind of like a cycle. It has become... Not so common in the last couple of years, but this year specifically, I've noticed that we are getting maybe a southerly, but not until eight or nine or 10 o'clock at night. And when it comes, it's bringing really fierce winds, but there's no rain.
0: And so obviously that kind of links into this idea of having drought. So do you, have you, do you think you've noticed that there's been significantly less rain over the last
2: few years? In all honesty, no, because... Mm. Throughout the winter, we can actually get quite a lot of rain. Um, it's it's really this year that I've really taken a note of it, and I'm not sure whether that's in general the population are talking more about climate change and becoming more aware of aware of things that are happening. But it it actually feels like it just switched off in the last couple of years, and I think I think that's what I've noticed. And have the
0: Australian government been giving you advice on? water reduction
2: and measures for drought? So in New South Wales, where I live, which is where Sydney is, we are on level two water restrictions. Unfortunately, the government aren't exactly forthcoming with that. They make sure that there are water restrictions, but it's not like they really promote it. So how... I find out definitely about this kind of stuff as if I go online and have a look to see if there are water restrictions, and then by word of mouth. Um, fortunately, the, the Australian community are actually really good and really aware about things like drought and bushfires, um, and the community talk to each other and make sure that everyone knows what's happening. So there's three levels of water restrictions in Australia, and we're currently at level two. And we, Okay, so you're um, in the middle. Yeah, so we're currently in the middle at the moment. So. That basically means that you can only use like a watering can in your garden before 10 a.m. and after 4, which, to be honest, everybody should be doing anyway, I believe, if you live in Australia. Uh, You can only top up your pool or spa if the water's lost through evaporation. Um, And then you can like wash your vehicle with a bucket and a sponge. Um, There's obviously car washes that you can go to that are approved to, to wash cars. And then you actually need a permit if you want to, Fillipals.
0: And so, what have you been
2: doing as a household to reduce your water usage? Well, I'm not sure whether we have a conventional household or not, but um, my sons and I, um, I, <laughs> I feel like I need to give responsibility to them um, and help them understand how it's up to them and me, but to to change the world. So I have one son that is in charge of drought. And one son that is in charge of climate change. And so my son Hamish, who's in charge of drought, so he basically, when we fill a bath, he makes sure that it's not filled too much. When we get out the bath, he makes sure that we're getting buckets and we're taking the water and it on the lawn or putting it on plants, or we're reusing the reusing the water somehow. And then my son Otis, for example, he would be in charge of making sure that the recycling is going in the bin and that no one's putting food scraps in the recycling so that it doesn't get contaminated and things like that. So, yes,
0: tell us what it's like um, living in the fires.
2: So I think what a lot of people don't understand is that the fires didn't just happen at New Year's Eve or you know, around Christmas, about 68 weeks prior to Christmas, we were living in smoke at that point. So this isn't something that's just like, oh, for two weeks we've been living in smoke and had these masks on. This has been happening for so long now. Um, so my kids live 50% with me and 50% with their dad. Their dad lives on in the bush where, where I used to live. And I lived there for seven years. And in those seven years... I have never actually feared or you know been concerned about my life with the fires um and there's been a lot of controlled back burning in the past um but in the last couple of weeks or you know probably about 6 weeks ago maybe about 3 weeks before Christmas I was I was genuinely packed a bag and thought potentially I'm going to have to evacuate and I live in suburbia so What it's been like is waking up in the morning and finding a lot of burnt leaves in your front garden and then thinking, you know, a couple of these fires are actually two to three hours away and we're Mm. getting burnt leaves in our garden. You know, it, it is sad to think that such a catastrophic event means that that's what it takes to shift people's perspective. Yeah. But it has brought climate change and it's brought environmental issues to the forefront in the australian communities
0: yeah so on that what reasons are people giving for the
2: fires what sort of things have you heard i would say that people are saying climate change but again it comes down to education but because people are talking about it more everyone understands that there's just like a lot of elements Mm. to this and there is a general understanding that there are many many factors that have contributed to it and i think in general people pretty sad and disappointed at themselves and it's given everyone a bit of a wake-up call to to start doing their own bit so look in my in my opinion I lived in the bush for seven years um I personally think the main reason is the lack of back burning um but unfortunately we have always had arsonists there's always been random lightning going on. There's always been idiots in the bush lighting fires, you know, having a barbecue when it's really hot and windy. I have had controlled bushfires previously um, and you know, it's so sadly we've got to the point that animals have died because of all of these elements not looked after the world. Um, So, in my opinion, the reason for the fire, um, having lived in the bush for seven years, um, I feel like it's backburning. And that has not been happening for maybe the last couple of years. Um, I have been shamelessly so consumed with myself and my work and other things that I've I didn't notice that the letters had stopped coming. We were talking, weren't we, about the backburning and the Green Party
0: being blamed for it and things like that. Is that something that you wow. heard a lot of
2: talk about in your circles or on, on social media? Oh. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I voted Greens. I probably should have looked into their policies more. I didn't. Um, and by all accounts, what the news is telling me is that they are part of their policy was to get back burning stopped. Yeah, it's um, it, could, it could also be it could also be a deflection of another political party not doing what they should have done. Mm-hmm. Right. But either way, it's not getting done. Yeah. It's really fascinating how,
0: so for me, I would always question something like that. So when I look at the news, I'm looking for something to reinforce my um, way of thinking, which is the Green Party. How could they have any power over this because they're such a small party? And if I read The Guardian, which thinks in the same way as I do, they reinforce my message. Whereas if someone's looking, you know, from another way. So you it seems like with the news, you can always find the answer to satisfying
2: oh. way of viewing, seeing things. Absolutely. But I think at the end of the day, that burning stopped. What, whoever mm. put it through or who didn't put it through or who voted for it didn't vote for it, it stopped. And mm-hmm. it shouldn't have.
0: In terms of you were saying people are more connected to nature in Australia, how are people responding to the death of all the animals, you know, what's what's the sort of sentiment around that?
2: Yeah, um, in all honesty, I think people are devastated. It's like it's an absolute um, tragedy. These animals are part of the foundations of the country. And I think that um, people identify themselves as, you know, we have these such amazing, unique animals in Australia. And the nation's just generally horrified about it. Um, mm-hmm. I was speaking to a friend on the south coast and he lives in Nara, which is near Lake Conjola. And, you know, I was saying all of my uh, school community and a lot of people in my sort of greater community are asking for sheets so that they can make pouches for the possums and for the koalas. and um, And that's so nice. All these people mm-hmm. are really focused on helping the animals. And he's this, you know, I spoke to him maybe two days after the... After New Year's Eve. And he just said, I don't even understand why they're doing that. All the animals are dead. And and unfortunately, like they've managed to save so many, but there are so many that are yeah. dead. And it's horrific and it's devastating. And I actually think unless you speak to a local or have first hand experience, I don't think you can really understand that enormity of that. Mm-hmm. We need to build our economy and help the obviously help the animals that have survived and help the people and the businesses so that they can look after the natural heritage that they've got around them and, and, you know, that everybody survives, animals and people and businesses. And so it, it was a pretty sad conversation to have.
0: And on that, how are people working together to rebuild things
2: and come together and help? Oh, do you know what? I... Australia's got some really lovely pockets of community, but it actually feels like the whole country has come together and and banded together to help the people that are affected in New South Wales and Victoria. So I think every part of the community is doing something. So as I said, there's people making pouches, there's people doing events, fundraising events, there's people, um, they're offering, I think I saw the other day on Facebook, a local building company had said that they can afford twenty thousand dollars and does anyone know anyone that needs anything built and they've got up to twenty thousand dollars to well wow. right so everybody is trying to do something and i think that's the beauty of a tragedy right is that communities come together and you actually see the human spirit come mm. alive
0: have you noticed sort of any cracks or any divisions are there areas or angles where people are turning against each other
2: I want to say generally not, mm-hmm. um, but I'm not sure whether it got covered in the UK. But there was a lot of looting yeah. happening a few a few days after, um, which obviously everyone was just completely horrified at these low lives. Mm-hmm. That I just can't even understand how how that works or what they want to do. But you know, generally everyone wants the best, mm-hmm. and pe- I think the fact that everybody thinks differently. So on that, what are you doing as a response to this crisis? I decided to utilize my own skills. I wanted to help, but I didn't know how. I don't have a massive amount of money, and also when I give money, I don't know where it's mm. going. So I'm. I do think that there's always something that someone can do. Um, I was speaking to my friend on the south coast, and um, he's an ex-professional athlete that I used to work with. And I said, "Oh, you know, if, if I can be of any help, that that would be fine." And then I lay there lay there in bed thinking, I can help his business, like I can organise anything. Um, so I'm an event manager, so I should say to your listeners. Um so I was saying I can organize anything. Surely I can do something. Um so between uh myself and Josh who is my friend that lives on the South Coast and my business partner CT, um we've come up with an idea um to boost the economy and encourage visitors to the South Coast later on in the year and so what we're doing is an event called meet me in the south coast and we're currently just trying to get um the council to back it which i'm pretty sure they're they're getting there on board um we've got some really good brands um so fortunately in my line of work i'm really connected with with good brands so we've gone out to some really nice suppliers we've gone out to our um old brands ex-clients you know just gone to everyone and said, is there anything you can do to help us, to be able to give this to us? Um, And we've had such an incredible response um, nationally from from brands that we'll be putting on uh, Meet Me in the South Coast. We'll be promoting it to Sydney, Canberra and the Greater New South Wales to promote people to go to the region, spend money um, in accommodation, spend money with local produce, and we'll be putting on walk, run, bike, into the middle festival where we'll be selling local produce um, and having sort of uh, local bands and um, some sort of athlete demos and things like that. And am I right in thinking you are saying people will come along the river as well? Yeah, so, so what we're actually going to do, so the finish will be at Lake Conjola, mm. where the main, the main uh, fires were. We'll have a walk, bike and run, uh, which will come from the south then we'll have a paddle and a swim which will be coming from uh from the Shoalhaven River and it'll be coming right out the ocean to end at Lake Conjola. and we'll also be having a Harley Davidson ride coming from Sydney there's potential to have a, a boat leg as well so they will all be fundraising legs the um so we'll have four or five different starts um people will fundraise to then come to the the festival and then you can come to the festival in addition to that and um, enjoy yourself for the day go onto facebook and look up sorted events um, and we'll be making an announcement on there
0: brilliant and i suppose obviously there's lots of people around the world who want to do something and are wondering who they should be supporting have you got any suggestions because i know i feel the same you know green piece of messaging me 350 degrees friends of the earth you know everyone another saying they should, I should donate sure money to them
2: what what would you suggest Look, I suppose it depends on what kind of support you want to give. Um, I feel quite passionate about people using an existing skill. Um, I know when we were talking, Hales, you've really been um, inspired to
0: rethink your business model and who you work with. What are you doing
2: to address the climate emergency and change your overall business we're actually rebranding sorted as a a brand activist Um, we are only going to be working with brands that um want to work for a you know have a have a purpose and want to do good by the world and um so we're going to be helping brands basically activate what their true values are and align them with the right people um and with the right charities um and then as me and me and yourself have been talking just making sure that goes down the line as well that it's not just that whole greenwash thank you very much for all of your insight <laughs> wow that
1: was such a powerful interview thanks so much haley for sharing i've also i've got a friend my friend heather has just come back from spending a few weeks three weeks in Australia with her sister who lives there and they had plans to have Christmas together and and travel around a bit. And essentially what they ended up doing was they were traveling around just trying to stay one step ahead of the, the wildfires, which is quite a surreal experience. And she said, I got, uh, she sent me a message and she said, over Christmas, we stayed at an Airbnb by the coast and I woke up on Boxing Day to the smell of smoke, which was really scary. And when I looked out the window, I couldn't see the sea anymore for all the smoke. The place had no signal, so I woke my sister up to drive up the hill and check the apps for warnings. It was just smoke up from a fire up the coast and it cleared up by the afternoon. But I, I just can't imagine like waking up and just just feeling like so terrified by seeing this smoke. And, and then... And then that kind of strange thing of like, well, what do we actually do? And I, mm. I say they changed their plans. So they were planning to go to a certain place. And then they found out that that had an evacuation warning on it, even though a lot of the locals were staying put because there was so much. Um, it didn't seem that un- it didn't seem that unusually fiery. There wasn't smoke in the air. It was quite a nice day, quite breezy. And then the next so they decided to rearrange their plans, not go there. And the next day they were seeing on the news just all these huge fires, red skies, and a lot of the families have, have been stranded there.
0: So a similar sentiment of, you know, just sort of trying to get on with things and how do you respond? One of my friends, another friend, he lives in um, in Sydney and he said after three weeks of not seeing any sunlight and just being depressed, in the end he went up uh, north to where it's rainy season just so he could connect with nature and be somewhere because he didn't know what else to do you know and it's like what would yeah how do you respond in those times
1: well exactly I mean unless you like don a pair of fireproof trousers and jacket and like become a volunteer firefighter what else do you do there has been some amazing videos on social media of people going in and saving koalas and little baby kangaroos and stuff before the fires come and there's Mm. videos of people with their car just full of koalas
0: and I think that, you know, what Haley what was saying about people coming together is probably the really heartening thing because that was my fear that it, actually people would turn against each other. You know, we're, we talk about people turning against climate refugees and people fighting over resources and Australia's demonstrated that people have actually come together when the governments haven't been supporting them and they're working together and it's about the community and that I feel is, you know, f- Makes me feel heartened about things.
1: It's so true because let's just talk for a moment about the shameful political response from the leaders in Australia, particularly the Prime Minister Scott Morrison, who was on holiday initially in Hawaii when the fires started getting really bad and he uh, refused to come back initially early uh, to much criticism. He wasn't really saying it was an emergency and He's a climate change denier anyway, so he's just completely ill-equipped to deal with the the magnitude of this problem, which Australia's not going to be the same again, really, after this, I don't think. I think these kinds of events are exactly what scientists have been modelling. This is what they've been talking about. This is the kind of dangerous climate change tipping points that we're, we've been expecting, and they're happening now. And we didn't expect them to happen yet, maybe. <laughs> But like, just think how much carbon is being emitted into the atmosphere from those fires.
0: Well, this is the thing. And I think this is where this, for me, where I call to mind in that idea of um, is this eco side? And I think that's a whole topic for another podcast about the idea that if people are irresponsible and they damage nature or they intentionally do it. So with things like mining, um, then actually they could be taken to court and you know, and tried for it. And I think we need to go into that, because for me, that's all this stuff shouts of that. And I think that's completely another episode because this is serious stuff and it, how can it just be let allowed to happen?
1: Definitely. I, I really like to look into that in a future episode, which is really worrying that there's still people in these positions of power and, and lots of them that are, are completely reacting to this in the wrong way and, and not able to step up and take the action that's needed, which is radical, basically.
0: And this is, I think, yeah, for me, why I also find these things really scary, and I expect a lot of our listeners do, is that right now we've got this climate crisis. And then we've got people in, you know, the guy in Brazil, Bolsonaro, we've got Bolsonaro, Trump, uh, Boris Johnson, all these people. And this is not who we need right now. And, you know, it really can feel debilitating. But that idea that it's about community, I think, is what is where the hope is. And that's what we have to look at. But then, on the flip side of that, the other scary thing that's going on is you've got all these deniers doing these really devious things on um, social media, and they're what's called trolling, and they're creating lies. And so, there's a big um, story at the moment that's going through social media saying that the Green Party are to blame for the lack of this preventative burning. So they're saying that the Green Party campaign against uh, back back burning. There's even been pictures where they've superimposed uh, previous um, sort of previous versions of the Green Party's website saying, see, look, it said this before. And it's actually like screenshots.
1: These things, like troll farms are a thing, and like there are people that are paid to go and stoke up this this um nonsense basically. Uh and and really just throw just shit stir, basically. And um it's around political issues, it's particularly troubling
0: so i also want to add in that in terms of the trolling there's a whole less narrative about it's um arson so there's sort of there's a whole hashtag and things and it's saying that all the the fires are because of arson and might maybe a few of them are but they're basically trying to now focus the attention on arson as being the problem to detract from climate change
1: it's exactly the kind of misinformation that's been going on for decades around the, foss- the fossil fuel industry particularly in the US, funding reports which are throwing doubt on climate science, which have um, been just these very loud voices, dissenting voices against these scientific consensus, but are enough to have thrown people off course for a while. So it's just that that seed of doubt that's planted that's enough to give people an excuse not to act, essentially. It's really worrying, and it's, it's these patterns that we're seeing a lot. It's the, it's the establishment just trying to claw on to its vestiges of power you know
0: mm. but I think you know for our listeners it's one of those things that actually it's really difficult to even know um what is true and what's not you know it's this like that we're in an age of untruths or post-truth you know we're in an age of post-truth and how can you tell because a lot of these websites they'll have um new names that sound like they're quite important and the institute of something or another, but they're actually being funded by fossil fuels. Or you see these posts and you're like, oh, yeah, they've got a hashtag and it says this. and it, But it is also another thing which I'm aware of, and I think I mentioned this before, but um, I look for things that reinforce my understanding of the world. So if I see, I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And if I see something that's like, oh, well, I don't agree with that, then I wouldn't take that as being truth. So there's a real challenge um in what we use to build our perception of the world as well.
1: So true. I'm I'm quite guilty of it. If I want to, to make a point, I'll quite often reach for a Guardian article. Yeah, it's like the Guardian is usually pretty bang on with my, my viewpoints, but I do try and I do try and read other sources of information as well. And there was this really good article that I read at the end of at the end of the year last year, so it was the roundup and it was about um, from by Bridget Delaney, who's an Australian uh, journalist, and she was talking about in December how she was going on a boat trip and around Sydney Harbour, and it was like a wine tasting trip or something. And it was like you know everyone was dressed up in their nice dresses and they were getting on the boat and they they were everyone was just trying to ignore the fact that the sky was like red and there was just smoke in the air and ash falling into their wine glasses. And everyone was like trying to have a nice time and there's like the DJs and the bands playing on the boat and like everyone was like, ha ha ha. But it was all like, hang on a minute. We can't ignore this anymore. Like we can't carry on business as usual. And
0: it sounds a bit like the uh, the Titanic when it was going down and the band keeps playing.
1: Totally. Like it makes me think of that. And like so, there's a quote that she said in that. So she said, um, cognitive dissonance is natural. It can make you feel safer. Like the world is a more orderly, stable place than reality, which is chaos. But 2019 was, in many ways, for many of us, year zero. It was the year that many of us stopped disassociating, woke up, and realised the party's over. And like, obviously, that is, it's quite bleak. But there's there's something in that. It's like we can't just carry on like we were. We can't just we we, we these fires are going to be burning. We can't like we can carry on and try and live our lives, but they are going to be impacted. There's going to be some kind of diminished life in some way. That's that's not what we had hoped or expected, and we can't we can't get like we can get upset about that and we can grieve for it, but we can't change it at the moment. Um, it's um we just have to change how we cope with it and how we deal with it. And so, speaking of which, how what can we do about these about these fires? What can so people are listening, they're thinking, God, this is pretty bad. What what can we do?
0: Well, I think. As Hayley demonstrated, that um, look at what skills we've got and how we can share them and how we can use them. And I think also, you know, whilst saying that we can't um, do anything about it, we can change our lives and we can change our business as usual and operate differently in the same way that Haley said she's do- doing that. So I think those are two things that we can do personally.
1: Yeah. And I, I think that's the really important thing to remember is that, yeah, it can feel like big systems, big things aren't going to change overnight, but all of this work has to happen one person at a time. What is your climate emergency superpower? Like what, how do you look inside yourself, realize your own power, realize your impact, realize what you can do and change in your life. And on that note as well, how can you build your community? We've seen how uh, the firefight, the volunteer firefighters, uh, the communities in Australia coming together to help each other out, protect the the villages and towns together and work together to keep each other safe and fed how? what would happen if crisis struck in your town? If you are looking to support or give any kind of donations towards the causes in Australia right now, there are a lot of great things you can donate towards, whether it's to do with wildlife, saving uh, the koalas and the kangaroos and helping the, the um, rehabilitation of those animals, or whether it's to do with the firefighters themselves and donating to those firefighting charities. So a lot of them are volunteers, um, through to all sorts of other um uh things like helping citizens with food bank donations and and clothes and, and evacuation gear basically. So um we'll put a link in the show notes to an article which has all of those links there. Yeah, we'll put a link in the show notes and um you can make your own decision.
0: Exactly. And I think also another thing to say on the wider scale is there are lots of um, protests and things going on now and focusing on the fossil fuel industry, because that is in Australia and it's big in Australia. And we, you know, we want to put pressure on organisations who are who enabling this to happen or part of that bigger story around climate change, then 350.org and other ones are really campaigning against the fossil fuel industry. Who are we putting in Greenwash Corner this week, Jess?
1: Greenwash Corner. Well, seeing as it's about the Australian fires, I'm going to put Chevron in Greenwash Corner. Uh, Chevron are a, a large oil and gas company who donated $1 million to help the Australian forest fires, which kind of sounds like a lot. You're like, hey, cool. They donated a million. Why are we putting them in Greenwash Corner? Um, But if you put that in context of its annual earnings of $15 billion a year, $1 million is only 0.00667% of its annual income. Uh, So it's kind of like someone made the analogy of it's like uh, the arsonist turning up to the fire with a fire extinguisher uh, in that this fossil fuel company which has profited so much from the basically creating the conditions, the climate change conditions, that have made this tragedy and disaster occur in the first place. So, yeah, nice try, Chevron, but we see you. Um, and, you know, it's cool that you did that, but you're not fooling anyone.
0: Yeah, I think if they were going to be really doing something meaningful, it would be that they're changing their business model.
1: Exactly. Well, I think it's, it's been a pretty pretty heavy episode, so I think we are going to introduce a new section to our podcast, and we are going to call it Reasons to be Cheerful. So, first thing, air passenger numbers in Germany went down 12% last year on the year before, and they are saying that it's to do with the Greta effect. <laughs> well done, Greta also Germany in case they don't want to get any better they have also recorded record passenger numbers on their trains and to support that they have also cut long distance train fares
0: and actually on that um, if you're in the UK and you're looking for cheap fares check out split ticketing or split fares because that um, is a way of getting cheaper train fares somehow the website buys lots of the tickets along the journey and then puts it all together and it's cheaper than buying a a return ticket,
1: so it's very clever. Have a good one Livy! Thanks Livy! Bye!